You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome, fellow island lovers. You're listening to A History of the Caribbean in 100 Objects. This is a podcast about the rich history of the cultures and societies of the Caribbean told through objects from the earliest period to modern times. I'm Alice Sampson. I'm a Caribbean archaeologist and a lecturer at the University of Leicester. And I am Angus Moll. I'm also a Caribbean archaeologist and I'm a postdoctoral fellow at Stanford University. Uh, First of all, a little bit of an apology on my side because... If I sound extra husky and maybe a bit sniffly today, then it's because I actually got a bit of a cold going on that I picked up, even in very sunny California. I think I just, you know, got bit by uh, by that little cold, cold virus somewhere. Talking about the weather, Alice, I mean, if I'm talking about the weather, I don't want to deny you the chance as a Brit to talk about the weather, because that's what Brits love to do, right, Alice? So what's, what's the weather like at your place? Oh, thanks for asking, Angus. Yeah, we do love to talk about the weather. And actually, today has been a beautiful, crisp autumn day. I've been looking out of my office window, blue skies, and all the trees are bare. The last yellow leaves have fallen off them. But it was, a, yeah, it's, it was basically a cracking autumn day. And I know that, yeah, British people do love talking about the weather. Oscar Wilde once famously said that conversation about the weather is the last refuge of the unimaginative, which I think is kind of unfair. I think the weather is always a very safe and good opening gambit, and we love it because unlike religion or politics or sex, it's a safe topic and it's nobody's fault. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's true, right? It is true. It is true. I mean, you know, things may go astray, but the weather can always make it worse or better. That's true. Exactly, exactly. But it is a little bit of an unfortunate coincidence, actually, now I'm talking to you, Angus, and we haven't spoken in a little while, that um, England's first named storm of the season, because we've started naming our storms. Okay, that's a good idea. They do that in the Caribbean too, yeah. Yeah, they do that in the Caribbean too, but the first storm of the season, guess what it was called? Um, I guess it's with a letter A, so it must be Alice. No, it wasn't. It was Angus, actually. What? Angus brought 80 mile an hour winds and flooded a lot of people out of their homes. So yeah, it's been quite a tumultuous last couple of weeks in terms of the weather, which is why I'm sort of pleased today that it's so it's so calm and beautiful outside. Well, on behalf of my namesake, I apologize to the people of England and I will have a talk to him and uh, it won't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> At least not until there's another storm called Angus going around when they run out of names with A in, uh, well, 25 <laughs> years or so. <laughs> Um, this, though, nicely leads into another thing that um, has to do with the weather, and it's actually a very joyous thing, because right now, as we're uh, recording this, it is the end of the hurricane season in the Caribbean, um, yeah. and leading to that, we thought that it was a good idea to actually talk about hurricanes. Well, you might say, that's all nice and dandy, but you're not meteorologists, you're actually archaeologists, so you're supposed to talk about objects, right? But I think, Alice, that... Um, yeah, you you can supply us with a sort of object-related hurricane, right? Indeed, indeed. I have in front of me a really beautiful representation, or rather personification, of the hurricane. All right, and that's that personification, if I remember correctly, uh, is also named, right? It's called Guabansex, at least this representation, this 
figure that uh, represents a hurricane is uh, called Kwabansex in in the, the, the writings of a person we've already talked often about before, and we're going to get down to that later. But um, maybe before we do all of that, you can maybe shortly describe what this particular object, hurricane or hurricane object looks like. Yeah, indeed. So what I'm looking at is basically a rock art motif. I'm looking at a figure which is about ooh, sort of 20 or 30 centimeters um, tall and wide. It's basically a, an, a picture of a of a, a person, a person-like figure with their arms waving wildly around. One is above the head with the fingers splayed, and the other hand is 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 down by by I don't know if it's if it's a waist, but and the legs are sort of wide widely spaced and and again maybe sort of flailing around. And there's actually another figure underneath this as, as well with 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 the hands up um in the air so a very it's a very sort of dynamic couple of or paired motif here with with hands and legs uh flailing around for sure it looks very dynamic actually sort of reminds me of you know a bunch of wild people going on in a rave like you know these arms wildly flapping about you know a dance rave i mean something something like that it does look very dynamic but it is definitely not any sort of modern dance rave um, rock art, because the context of this particular symbol, Alice, which which is it? Yeah, so this so this particular um, rock art motif is found in a cave, uh, on on deep inside a cave on the small island of Mona or Isla de Mona, which is um, a national park of Puerto Rico. It's a it's a small island between Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico called called Mona Island, and it has two hundred caves on it. And I think I've mentioned Mona before because it's where I. I I've done field work for the last few years with a good friend and colleague of ours, Diego Cooper from the British Museum and with um, students from um, the Centre of Advanced Studies in Puerto Rico and the University of Puerto Rico. And one of the caves we visited, which has been visited before by by the Puerto Rican scholar Ovidio Davila, who first published um, uh, this this piece of rock art, um, uh, yeah, one of the so one of the pieces of rock art in this cave is this hurricane, supposedly hurricane figure. We don't know, of course, for sure whether it that the indigenous people who painted it because it's a it's a painted motif. It's painted with brown paints. Paints probably it's um it's pigment made from um, what people found on the floors of the cave. So it's phosphorite mixed with a bit of charcoal and possibly some plant resins to make it stick to the wall. And it's this, this figure has been painted uh, on on the wall and um it's been interpreted by Ovidio Davila as a representation indeed of the hurricane following mm-hmm. Panay, following Panay's description of the hurricane goddess Guavansex and based on the position of these these arms. And um, maybe I should read the bit from Panay actually. Where I mean, he describes it's, it's always Guavansex good to read a bit about hurricane. Yeah, from our, from our friend Panay. I mean, uh, good old friend, good old dead friend of the show. <laughs> why not? <laughs> why not lead a, you know, I'm sure that if you start pasting all of our podcasts together, then at some point you will have the whole the whole of Panay's uh, account <laughs> sort of in this bits across all the episodes that we've done but uh, take it away Alice I will I will so I'm not going to read it in um, I was going to say the original but it wasn't originally published in Italian of course but the, the version of Panay that we know is an Italian version and so this has been translated from the Italian by Giovanna Miccarelli and it goes like this so this semi Guaban sex was in the country of a great cacique one of the most important ones called Almatex And this semi was a woman, and they say that there are two others who accompany her. One is the harbinger, and the other the gatherer and governor of the waters. And when Guabansex becomes upset, they say she moves the wind and the water and blows things down and uproots the trees. This semi, they say, is female and is made of the stones of that country. 
So that's that's what that's what Panay says about Ooh. about Guaban sex that she also has two um, followers, um, two sort of um, subordinate uh, deities with her, who I think are also female deities, and one of them controls the the wind, and the other one gathers up the waters and 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 controls controls the water. So they yeah. certainly sound like a fearsome trio. I wouldn't want to mess with. Um, one thing I find curious here is that Panay refers to them as being female twice, actually. So he's really like apparently surprised by this or something. Yeah, he does deliberately, very deliberately make this point that they are that they are female zemis, and I think that you know that some of the, the oral histories that Panay Panay recounts are full of um, powerful women, powerful female deities, and I think it's something that runs through a lot of what the chroniclers write. For example, especially um, Oviedo, for example, he's always surprised when he comes across people like Anacaona, who's a you know a, a powerful um, indigenous queen. It's kind of surprising that they do express this surprise because, of course, at the at the time, Queen Isabella was on the throne, and um, you know, the, and uh, Catholics like Oviedo and 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 Panay were used to a whole panoply of um, female saints, but they do always seem surprised, indeed, when they talk about right. um, uh, female deities in the in the chronicles. Yeah, Queen Isabella, another fearsome, fearsome woman for sure. Um, as another side point, I think what we have to explain here is that in episode 13, we also talked about Zemis or Zemiism. Um, and there we talked about it as being a sort of a numinous force, like a spiritual substance. But here, Panay specifically identifies these Zemis as being a specific being and in fact also about being a specific object, right? So f for Panay, these Zemis are both gods and objects, which is also how they've been originally interpreted in Caribbean archaeology. For Panay, who was of course a Catholic, the idea of a spirit being associated with something material wasn't all that strange, actually, because uh, you of course have the idea of saintly statues or even saintly relics in Catholicism. And in addition, if you look at it from what we understand of an indigenous perspective of these things, something that is both a, a god uh, both an object and at the same time having a, a sort of spiritual substance is not that strange as well, right? Um, however, before we descend to chaos and we're being completely blown off course in this hurricane uh, featured episode, let's actually get back to the idea of hurricanes. For people that have, have been there, they, they sort of view the Caribbean as this ever sunny place, uh, which is more or less um, with a stable weather pattern year round. That's not the case at all. Just like we have seasons in Europe or in America, the Caribbean has its own climate and its own seasons as well, particularly a bimodal climate. Uh, and it has a dry and a wet season. And the wet season across the Caribbean will bring storms and hurricanes, as well as, of course, a lot of rain just in general. But the peaks of, of that, that season, they always translate themselves in storms and hurricanes. This year alone, we have seen some of the havoc that was caused by Matthew, uh, or Hurricane Matthew in October, which left uh, a huge swath of destruction in southern Haiti and also led to evacuations in the United States, although the damage there wasn't that bad this time around. Um, you briefly mentioned in the beginning that the weather is nobody's fault. That's true, but it can still be tremendously destructive, especially if it just becomes as forceful as a hurricane. So... If you prepare yourself for an extreme storm and how you deal with that both practically and mentally, that is, you know, very much human business, right? It's something very much central to all human beings. At the same time, it gets encoded in these specific cultural expressions of it. 
particularly, this is of course what Panay refers to, the, the knowledge uh, and the experience of the weather and the seasonal variations that the people in the Caribbean in the past have gets encoded in this case in this figure, the Zemi called Gabansex. So in that sense, Gabansex and the stories that are associated with her and maybe the object that was associated with her was a reminder that maybe today is nice and calm, but tomorrow or in a couple of weeks down the line, you're going to be dealing with the potential destruction of a, of a hurricane again. Um, if we talk about the destruction of hurricanes, they are not only seasonal. In fact, hurricanes seem to be also moving in some sort of a, a, a pattern of intensity, which changes, we, we, we discussed this and we don't really know the, the sort of the, the window of time right there, but every so, every, every other decade or so, seven years or so, this intensity pattern changes. So there may be, like we've had in the last roughly 10 years, a relatively, relatively of course, calm hurricane season this this time around we had a relatively calm hurricane season as well doesn't take away that any time a hurricane hits makes landfall it's it's a hugely destructive process but relatively speaking it, it was less destructive um truth be told alice you and i were kind of um hurricane armchair <laughs> people we've never really been hit by a hurricane ourselves so we don't even really know how horrible it is to 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 be part in it although we did get in our very first field season at El Cabo, we did get hit by the tail end of what was at that point uh, downgraded to a simple tropical storm. And that tropical storm was uh, called Den Dennis, I think, right? And 2005 was actually an example of one of those horrific hurricane seasons all across the Caribbean and even uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. For example, it was also the year of that terribly destructive uh, Katrina hurricane that made landfall in the southern U.S., yeah, that's yeah, that's very true. I, I remember that season very well. It was the first time I witnessed any kind of tropical storm, and it was just incredible. The the rainfall every day. So I remember it rained every afternoon. So we had like a few hours working on the site of El Cabo in the morning, working with the the, the villagers and uh, who we who we work with on that excavation. And then in the afternoon, we just we had to leave the site because it was just pouring pouring with rain. And we went back, of course, to our, our, our safe resort in our sort of concrete house where we were living and yep. sheltered from the rain and watched it hammering down outside and the lightning and the thunder. And we're thinking, God, you know, I wonder how I wonder how our, our friends and colleagues in El Cabo are doing because they, they, they live in, in quite sort of you know, flimsy houses and, you know, will they be okay? And every day we went back to the site and they were they were pretty unconcerned and they, they were they were fine. Their houses withstood the storm because they live in sort of relatively low density living and um, sure, your roof would would blow off, but it was quite easily replaced. And when the storm got too bad, it basically just went to the caves inland, which seems mm. to be, as we know, an an, an age old uh, solution in the in the Caribbean for how you deal with 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 um, with heavy storms. If you live in a karstic area where there are, there are caves around, then you can take shelter in caves. People do that today, and De Las Casas and Oviedo describe people doing this also in the past, and we know. I guess that's probably worth mentioning as well, Angus, that, that from our work on, on El Cabo and through looking at the ways in which indigenous people designed their houses, they were also great hurricane defense systems because they were pole and thatch built houses, which when a really violent storm came and took the roof off and maybe took the walls, took the walls off, still the, the strong posts of the, of the, of the, the sort of strong internal support posts will be left intact and you could easily rebuild your house again and repair the damage. And so, 
yeah, these were really good um, hurricane, um, indigenous hurricane uh, defense systems. And that's something that, that Jago Cuba in his work on, on, on Cuba has also um, talked about uh, a bit. And yeah, we, it's quite interesting, actually, that, that idea of taking shelter in caves and the fact that, that people do that today. I've seen that on, on the Saona Island as well, where, where um, during, during violent storms, people go and shelter in a cave called Cueva Cotobanama. Mm-hmm. which is also an, a name of an indigenous um, cacique as well from that island. Okay. But uh, as we know from Panay and, and other descriptions from the Chronicle of Zemis, many Zemis lived in caves and Panay describes Guaban sex as being made of stone. And so maybe this is additional evidence that this whirling hurricane figure in the cave in Mona is actually Guaban sex. There she is made of stone painted on a cave wall um possibly there to remind people of you know this is this is where this is where you should go in a, in in a hurricane here you'll be safe um so yeah i may, maybe i'm maybe i'm convinced by uh, by the I- idea that this really is a representation of well and sex this swirly well dancing is, figure. Uh, yeah it's it's certainly a very evocative symbol right especially the petroglyph that you've been pointing out but symbols like this have been found in other types of material culture across the Caribbean as well. And they've been discussed in a book uh, by Fernando Atiz, who's a Cuban ethnographer, scholar, historian, cultural philosopher even. And he wrote a book which has been devoted completely to hurricanes. It's simply called El Huracan, which is, in fact, just to make another sidestep, a Taino word or an Arawakan word. Um, so hurricanes is there's a direct link if you just mention it today there's a direct link to the pre-colonial past it's uh, taking straight from their vocabulary so in his book El Huracan Fernando Ortiz talks <laughs> in a very interesting way about, about about hurricanes he identifies this symbol that we're looking at right now this motif and he calls it the whirling dance of the hurricane so maybe it is in fact a dance a rave like this thing that is just uncontrolled chaos. At the same time, it's also, of course, destruction. Um, those are two of the negative parts of hurricanes that I think anybody can relate to. But then at the same time, Fernando Ortiz also makes it a larger symbol for some of the cultural processes in the Caribbean throughout its history. So if you think about, for example, um, like the chaos and destruction, that's something that's, of course, heavily reminiscent as well of the colonial encounter period and at the same time Ortiz also points to the hurricane as something that also leads to or can engender things like renewal creativity innovation and resilience and he talks about it as being some sort of a a total fact or a repeating motif for all of the Caribbean and it's this is also echoed by other um postmodern scholars in the Caribbean, for example, Benitez Rojo, who talks about the Caribbean as uh, a general space of vertigo and hurricane. So, but, mm. I mean, in, so in general, I can sort of see how this is, I mean, storms take place outside of the Caribbean, of course, like Storm Angus in the UK, but it is, it does seem to be one of those inescapable facts of life in the Caribbean, and no small wonder then that it also made its way into the material culture of the pre-colonial period, right? 
Yeah, indeed, indeed. And I, I mean, it, it's a relatively rare, it has to be said, it's a relatively uncommon motif in, in indigenous material culture, this, this, um, this figure with the, with, with the raised arms like this. But of course, there's a lot of other swirling motifs, like the concentric, concentric circle patterns and, and swirls, which we see very frequently on all kinds of, on, on ceramics, especially, and, and, and wooden artifacts from all, from all periods. Yes, the, particularly the in the late, late, pre-colonials, the Chicoid style has a lot of this, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And as you say, you know, in native cosmology, and the, the symbolism that, that the hurricane is the bringer of rain and, and winds, and it's part of also that, yeah, predictable and necessary seasonal cycle, which brings water, which is much needed in parts of the Caribbean, which don't have any um, surface true. water. Um, and it, and it, you know, it, it brings fertility. You know, the, we, we talked about the, the frogs and the, and, and the coqui, they come out when it rains. So yeah, this is, there are also, there's also the, the, the good sides of um, the destructive um, storm as well, and I think nowadays, especially when it happens in 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 the Caribbean, we conceptualise the hurricane as a disaster, you know, and it involves this great sort of battle against nature, in which government agencies and NGOs are in, are engaged, and but we forget that this yeah this powerful Caribbean metaphor is also also has has a has a, a creative and a, and a positive side. Yeah, as you say, I mean, the particular hurricane is of course always destructive, but it it's a simple fact of this wet season in the Caribbean, which is very, very necessary. And I mean, as we said, it's been relatively quiet over the last 10 years. However, we are certainly not climate change deniers, as some people who recently got elected uh, are. <laughs> um, and it's very, very good to point out, I think, and very, very important to point out that climate change will, in fact, increase hurricane intensity. I mean, uh, the experts are saying it may not lead to more frequent hurricanes, but those hurricanes that are going to be there, that are going to be, I mean, we didn't talk about this at all, of course, but hurricanes uh, start because of the warm, because of warm waters, right? And temperature mm. of the water is going to be rising across the globe and especially in the Caribbean as well. And that's going to lead to more intensive hurricanes. Um, and I think therefore it's very important that no hurricane is a, is any sort of like on its own. It's a, it's a it's a it's a creative process. You actually need to come together and uh, help help people that are going through it. it. In that sense, it may be a creative process that after the storm has hit, then things can be built up again. But it's very important that people from outside the Caribbean and inside the Caribbean show solidarity after one of those hurricanes has hit any part of the of the region. So that's why we would also like to conclude today's uh, episode by, extend, first of all, extending our, our wishes, our wishes, our best wishes and uh, love and strength to those in Haiti, particularly that are still dealing with the fallout of Hurricane Matthew. And we also would like to take this opportunity to uh, point people that are listening to this episode, to point them to support group the haiti support group which is a civil society organization that empowers and also supports local haitian associations that i think is very important and also other groups not only associations and it empowers haitians local haitians to improve their standards of living uh, and build a stable democracy as well and haiti is in in many ways such an unfortunate country being hit by so many excesses of natural disasters over the last decades and, and years, basically, that it could really, could really use our support by literally tapping into the local strength that is still present, even after all the storms and, and, and other horrible earthquakes happened, it's still present in Haiti. So please go to 
haitisupportgroup.org. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Thanks for saying that, Angus. And and maybe also, uh, maybe we should should also, you know, praying to to Guaban sex as well. Um, okay. See if we can see if we can change some of those patterns by appealing to indigenous deities. But um, for yeah, sure, it can never hurt, right? To uh, to to get a bit friendly with a, a particularly stormy woman. So that's uh, for sure. That that, that uh, they're interesting. They're interesting beings for sure. I think okay, that uh, I think that's uh, that's about it for us uh, for us today. Um, of course, what we would like you to do, first of all, go to haitisupportgroup.org. But after you've done that, we really like your feedback. Um, we always love to hear from you through any of our, our channels that you can find on our website, www.shoresoftime.com. And please tell us, because one of the things that I actually want to, uh, that we would actually like to, to talk to you about is that we've been focusing a lot on pre-colonial objects. And of course, that's where Alison and, and my strength lies. Um, but if you want to hear more about modern objects or uh, objects from the colonial period please let us know and give us specific examples and what we would really like actually is if you could uh, come on the show with us and we could talk through them together you don't have to be a scholar you don't have to be somebody who studies material culture for a profession if you have something that you think that this is really indicative of the history and the culture of the caribbean just get in touch with us and we uh, we can uh, try and work it out amongst ourselves or even involve you in uh, in an episode and we have a little Skype interview with you. So that would be really yeah. good as well. Yeah, that would be really fun. And Angus has just, just told me just before we, we started recording today that we've we've reached a milestone of, what, 3,500 listeners to some of these podcasts. So that's fantastic. We know people out there are listening. We know people in the Caribbean and outside the Caribbean are listening. And thank you so much um, for listening to us babble on. Um, for sure. Uh, it's, <laughs> if, if, it's, if it's chaotic and, and stormy or if it's a nicely smooth <laughs> episode like we normally have. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so thank you very much for listening to this episode of A History of the Caribbean in 100 Objects, where today we discussed the hurricane motif from Mona Island. Please go to shoresoftime.com for illustrations and links to further reading and tune in next time. We will speak to you then. Goodbye for now. And remember what the great Bob Marley said. In this great future, you can't, you can't forget, forget your, your past. Good stuff, Alice. <laughs> oh, that was a bit chaotic. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> I think we generally made sense. <laughs> yeah. I think we. I think we did actually. I think I'm always. I always have this feeling that we like just blathered on a lot, but then when you listen uh, listen back to it later, it's actually it's actually all quite coherent. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's quite coherent when that episode that started off at 30 minutes is now cut down to three. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
thanks to a Rubicon grant from the Netherlands Organization for Scientific Research. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.